with you this evening. Now, if you've got your Bibles there to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, um, we want to start this evening um, really in around verse number 10. We, we started last week in verse number 10. Our plan was to go through verse number 17. Um, but plans didn't work out just like it was supposed to. We didn't make it through verse number 17. So I want to finish up where we were last time, and then if we've got time at the end of the service, we'll move on to, uh, to a different section of Scripture. But if you remember, we said last time we were together that in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes about the first six chapters, and he deals with all the things that were wrong at the church at Corinth. It's really a time of strong reproof, a time of even rebuke that he uses to try and correct some very bad behavior. And there's a lot of bad behavior. And then what amazes me in the last part of the book of 1 Corinthians, chapters 7 through 16, he takes that uh, section of scripture and gives them instruction on what they're supposed to do. So he don't just tell them what's wrong, he tells them what's right. He don't just give them re reproof and rebuke, but he gives them instruction in righteousness and shares with them what God expects from his people. And folks, that's the way it should be. Can you say amen? I, I remember years ago, one of my favorite football coach that I ever had was a man by the name of Kenny Goggins. I love Coach Goggins. Still to this day, respect that man greatly. I really do. But I had him as my football coach from the time I was in sixth grade all the way through high school and uh, got to know him well and... Um, and think a lot of him. But Coach Goggins was a great coach. And he was a great coach because if I did something wrong, he'd let me know about it. And I like that. I like to know um, when, I, when I mess up, when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. That way I can correct my act. But he, he didn't just share with me what I did wrong. He would then tell me how to do it right. And, and he'd always say, well, look, forget about that play. Let's move on to the next one. And let me show you how you're supposed to do that when that situation arises again. That's good coaching. And that creates a better player. The same is true in discipleship. If we want to grow in the Lord, if we want to grow as Christ's followers, folks, we must see what's wrong in our individual lives and therefore collectively in our church. But it's not just seeing what's wrong and being reproved and rebuked. It's also seeing what's right and being instructed in righteousness so that we might be what Jesus has saved us to be. Can you say amen? And so one of my mentors, one of the dear brother that I admire greatly, he used to say this. He'd say, the worst sermon you'll ever preach is the sermon that tells all the problems but gives none of the answers. And he's right on that. I've preached a few of those. You know, it's easy to give problems, but if all you do is give problems and don't give answers, then nobody's going to grow from that. Nobody's going to be, again, what the Lord wants us to be. And that's our ultimate goal. And so that's what Paul is doing here by inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. He's given that strong correction in the first six chapters and then some strong instruction in the last 10 chapters, and I can't wait to get into all that with you. Now, the first thing that he deals with right here in chapter number 1, starting in verse number 10, is division in the church. And after I saw that, when I was reading through here and studying this, um, that really surprised me. Because I've read the book of 1 Corinthians, and there was a lot of bad things. There's a lot of bad behavior going on in the church at Corinth. I mean, a lot of stuff. I'm talking about some things that we in our minds would think, well, man, that's a lot worse than divisions in the church. But um, I'm talking about things like pride and arrogance. I'm talking about running rampant. 
I'm talking about ignorance of the truth that was being shared openly among the people. I'm talking about sexual immorality that was running rampant in the church. All of that was happening at Corinth. But the first thing Paul deals with is division in the church. Now let me tell you why I believe that is. I believe that's true because, listen, being inspired by God the Holy Spirit, God wants His people unified. Do you hear me? That is paramount to everything else. God wants us unified in our purpose, operating in love, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be and do what God has saved us to be and to do. But we've got to be unified. There cannot be divisions among us. The Apostle Paul knew that if he dealt with all of those other problems, but he didn't deal with the divisions in the church, then he's still on a sinking ship. It reminds me of a story I heard once upon a time of a grandpa who took his young grandson fishing. And they got in his old canoe and paddled out into the middle of the lake. And they were out there fishing. And all of a sudden, the canoe starts filling up with water. And the grandfather knew that he needed to get him and his grandson back to shore as, as quickly as possible. So he starts paddling just as hard as he can paddle across the lake. He's sitting in the back. The grandson's sitting in the front. And the grandson looks down. And his feet's getting wet and the water begins to rise. And he takes the cup he had for his lunch. And he starts dipping up that water and pouring it right behind him. Right back to where his grandpa was. He just kept dipping and kept dipping just as hard as he could go. And the grandpa said, son, you ain't doing a bit of good. He said, well, it's dry where I'm at. <laughs> and that's how sometimes we operate. We want to fix the, the little things and not take care of the root problems. And I believe the root problem for the church at Corinth was that the church was divided on several different things. We're going to look at that tonight. Now, just to review just a moment of what we talked about last week, the first thing that we looked at was fellowship and what the church is supposed to be, what God has called us to be. In Acts chapter number 2, in verse number 42, the Bible says that the early church, after the day of Pentecost, Listen, they continued in fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. Now, the Greek word there for fellowship is the word koinonia. We Sometimes we just think fellowship simply means eating after service or before service. I know most of you here tonight have probably enjoyed some good fellowship while but at, with our Supper of the Saints ministry, and that's great. And that's part of it. Matter of fact, the Bible says right there, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. We ate Sunday morning. We eat Wednesday night. Uh, I can't wait to the next time we eat. It'll be soon, I promise you. And we do that for a lot of reasons, but one reason is it's biblical. It's good to break bread together among brothers and sisters in Christ. You get to know one another that way. Amen? Hey, you get to sit down, talk about your day, talk about your problems, talk about your victories, talk about your failures. You can talk about all of that. And listen, I can encourage you, you can encourage me, we can encourage one another, and we can grow in the things of God. So that's part of it, eating a meal together. That's, that's what it's saying there. But there's more to it than that. And we talked about that last week. I said, I told you last time that koinonia actually means to be in a partnership with and participate with one another. Partnership and participation. Get those two words down. That's what koinonia is all about. That's what true fellowship in the church is all about. We are in a partnership with one another. If you believe it, say amen. We are partners together fulfilling our purpose. And ultimately, what is our purpose? Well, our purpose as believers is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ by showing and sharing His love with others. Can you say amen to that? 
If we're doing that, if we're showing and sharing the love of Jesus, bringing honor and glory to him, that should be our main focus and goal in everything we do. Pointing others to the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing honor and glory to him in the decisions and choices that we make and the plans and programs that we have in everything we do, in the message we preach, the prayers we pray, the songs we sing, let's honor and glorify Jesus. Let's point others to him. And we are to partner together in doing that. So how do we partner together? We participate with one another. You cannot be in a partnership if you don't participate. You cannot fulfill the purpose unless you participate with one another. And we talked about ways to participate. As the Bible tells us to, we are to participate in worship. If you believe it, say amen. We are to participate in corporate worship together. Hebrews 10.25 says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's a very, very important thing that the church meets together in person. Very important. You are to participate in the worship of the Lord Jesus together. Let me tell you why. Because, listen to me, God does things in corporate worship that he don't do in any other way. Take advantage of that. Amen? Listen, don't take it for granted. You say, well, brother, that's all right. I'll just watch it on Facebook. Let me say this. Listen to me. We started that ministry back during COVID, and the reason we started that uh, was so that we could reach as most people that we could during that time with the Word of God. And I'm glad we started it. We were able to do that. We were able to reach more people. And we are continuing to do that. Let me tell you why. So that we can reach more people. And there's a lot of people watching tonight that are dear brothers and sisters in Christ that cannot be here for whatever reason. But now listen, there's a difference in cannot be here and don't want to be here. There's a big difference. That ministry was never created because you didn't want to take the time to come and corporately worship together. If you can be here, you should be here to participate with one another in worship. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the Wednesday night crowd. I get that, but it needs to be said, don't it? That, that needs to be said because that's what God's Word says. We are to participate with one another in worship. Make that a priority in your life, Daddy. You mean what I figured out? If it becomes a priority to me, then my children will see it as a priority in their lives. If I treat it seriously, they will as well. However, if I don't, they won't. A lot of what we teach our kids, it's not taught with our lips, it's caught by our life. And when I got a hold of that, man, not only did it scare me to death because I realized the responsibility I have as a father, but it also lit a fire under me to try to be more of what God wants, not just for my sake, but for their sake. Amen? And so listen to me. Participate in worship. Make that a priority in your home. It's very, very important. Participate in witnessing. And, and listen, nothing more blessed than get to share your faith with a lost and dying world. 
Do you know you get the opportunity and the privilege of maybe being able to be a small part in changing someone's eternity? How amazing is that? I want to ask you that you begin to pray for God to open those doors in your life to share with somebody how much Jesus loves them. But let me tell you something. When you start praying for that, get ready. Get ready. God will open those doors. Now, that's not something that should scare you. That's something that should excite you. Let me tell you why. Because God promises that when we get those opportunities, he's not going to leave us by ourselves. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will give you exactly what you need in those times to tell people what they need to hear. He will. I'm not saying you're always going to say the right thing because nobody does. I'm not saying you, you won't get nervous about witnessing because everybody does. Anybody in here ever get nervous about witnessing? Me, me too. All of us do. All, listen, don't think you're the only one that sometimes gets nervous about sharing your faith. But what I found out, Jesus, by the person of the Holy Spirit, will give you what you need in those moments. He will. Prepare, yes. Practice, yes. We do some of that around here in our, you know, in our um, witnessing class that we do, try to do every year. And, and that's all important, but don't forfeit your opportunity to witness to others and just tell them how good Jesus has been to you. Share your testimony, what he's done in your life. So participate in worship, participate in witnessing, participate in giving, participate in going. Can you say amen? Participate in learning together through Sunday school and Wednesday night Bible study and Sunday morning worship. We participate in these ways so that we might grow together, many members being a part of one body. Now, the exact opposite of fellowship is division. And that's what he's dealing with here. Verse number 10 says, Now I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, let me tell you what I think he's saying there, what I think that means, to have the same mind. To have the same mind means that we are unified in purpose. The Bible does not preach and teach uniformity. It doesn't. It certainly teaches that we are to be in unity, but not uniformity. That's a good thing. How boring would it be if everybody was like me? Somebody say amen. Y'all know it's right. Guess what though? It'd be boring if everybody's like you too. That's not what God wants. That's not how God has created us. He's created me different than you, and he's created you different than me. Let me tell you why. So that we can all work together in reaching as many people as possible. Because I'll reach people that maybe you can't reach, and you can reach people that maybe I can't reach. Why? Because we're different. And it's amazing how God can, can use those differences to make us one. Bring us together and glorify himself by using us as a whole to accomplish his purpose. That's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. 
And so we're to be unified in purpose, not uniform. I don't have to be like you, and you don't have to be like me. For a long time as a pastor, I thought I had to do certain things to be a good preacher. You know? And, and I would watch some of my favorite preachers, and I'd try to emulate what they did. I can remember for a while, I'd always, I, I, I love uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. I, I figured out real quick I was never going to be David Jeremiah. You know? Probably ain't going to happen. <laughs> but you know what else I figured out? That's okay. God didn't call me to be David Jeremiah. God called me to be me full of him. And God didn't call you to be whoever. You fill in the bank, blank. Whoever you think about sometimes. God didn't call you to be them. You don't have to look like them. You don't have to act like them. You don't have to preach like them, teach like them, pray like them. You don't got to do any of that. God called you to be you full of him. Don't get hung up on that being uniform. No. God saved you to be you full of him. Accomplishing his purpose for his glory. And so it's not uniformity, but unity. He said, be of the same mind. Now, I hope you did your homework last week. I gave you some scripture about being in one accord that I asked you to go back and look at this week. If, if you didn't, then I want to encourage you, take advantage of that. The Bible says a whole lot about being in one accord. And you go through the New Testament, it will absolutely blow your mind at the things God did when his people got together. When his people got unified in one accord, having the same mind, unified in purpose, making it all about Jesus. Listen, honoring and glorifying him. And when his people got together, his people in the place, unified in purpose, man. God showed up and showed out. You don't believe me, go look in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Go, go look when God shook the very foundations of the place they were sitting after Peter and John were released from their captors, after healing the man at the temple there. Acts chapter 4. Go and look at how Peter was released from prison by an angelic visitor because the people of God were in the place Praying the same thing that Peter might be released. They got in one accord. God showed up and showed out and did what only God can do. We must be in one accord. In the same mind. Unified, not divided. Last week we talked about what division does. We said division displeases God. Jesus talked a lot about that in John 17. When he was praying his high priestly prayer before he went to the cross, he prayed that we would be one as he and his father are one. And he prayed that not once, but over and over and over again. It's very important to God that we be unified. It displeases God when we are not unified. Jesus himself said, Matthew chapter 12, that a house divided against itself Cannot do what? Cannot stand. Will not stand. So if we are divided, we cannot and will not be pleasing to God and fulfill our purpose. Division has to be far from the church for us to be what God wants us to be. 
Division displeases God. Division hinders the work. We've already talked about that. Division is dangerous to the lost because they want to see us unified. They need to see us unified. Let me tell you something else. They want to see that. They're looking, especially if you claim the name of Jesus. Division is very, very dangerous to the work and to the lost. Then we, at the end of the service last week, and this is what I really want to get to, we talked about the contentions that are mentioned right there um, in verse number 12, I think it is. Let's see. Verse number 11. It says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of glory, that there are contentions among you. I love how he makes it clear to say, my brethren. He brings back to their mind and to our mind exactly who we are. Y'all do know we are brothers and sisters in Christ. If I've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin, the Bible says that I am born again into the family of God. I'm now the adopted son of God himself, Romans 8, 15. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus has been applied to my heart and life by faith. Now, if you've been born again because you've placed faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you've been born again into the family of God as an adopted son or daughter, and the blood of Christ has been applied to your heart and life by faith. Guess what that makes us? Blood kin. You're my brother. You're my sister. And that's how we ought to act. You say, brother, you don't want us acting like my brother and sister acts. Well, that may be true, but for the purpose of this message and what we're studying, we are to live, operate in the love of Christ toward one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus. We are the family of God. But he says, it's been declared to me that there are contentions, contentions that word means factions. I used the word last week that maybe all of us can relate to, cliques, because that's really what he's talking about. This little group over here, and this little group over here, and that little group over there, and that little group over there, all being for their group. And usually these groups will have a self-appointed leader. You know? Usually what will happen, that leader will be negative about everything and everybody. And misery loves company, so the group will join in with that leader. And then they get all concerned about their personal preferences that's in that group. And it causes division like you've never seen. And it will absolutely tear down any ministry. It will hurt every church. That's why Paul deals with it here. So we don't need to get clicky, do we? We don't need to be contentious. It's not a bunch of groups. It's one group. One body. One purpose. Last week we talked about what division does. Tonight I want to talk about what calls, causes division in the church. Now right here, Paul makes it clear what caused division at Corinth. Look what he says. Verse 12, now this I say that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? 
Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name, and I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, in the New Testament times that we're reading about, I want to tell you baptism was a big deal to these believers because people who were baptized in that day many, a time, many times were alienated from their social circles. Many times were alienated from their family. So when you got baptized, that meant something to them. I want to tell you something. Baptism will mean something to you today too. I, again, folks, it's not that baptism saves you, but I'll tell you this. If you've been saved, you ought to be baptized. People say, well, Brother Ezra, what about the thief on the cross? Let me tell you about the thief on the cross. If that brother would have had opportunity, he'd got baptized. But he didn't have opportunity. You do, and if you've been saved, you need to be baptized. That identifies you with the finished work of Christ. That's a powerful thing. It was powerful for those believers. But listen, they, they were looking at this the wrong way. They were saying, well, Paul baptized me, so I'm of Paul. And I like Paul's preaching, so I'm of Paul. Or Apollos baptized me, so I'm of Apollos. And I really like that Apollos dude. And, and from all accounts in scripture that I've read, Apollos must have been a fiery preacher. I mean, I think that brother was an evangelist like the world has never. Hey, you go back and read about Apollos and you'll see that uh, throughout the, the New Testament. But Apollos was a fiery preacher, you know. And um, so a lot of people liked him. And some people say, well, I'm of Cephas. And some will say, well, I'm just of Jesus. Well, Paul says, is Christ divided? We all of Jesus. Let me say that again. We all of Jesus. <laughs> Folks, I want to tell you something. Please don't misunderstand me. I know what I believe and why I believe it. That's why I'm preaching where I'm preaching. That's why I'm preaching the doctrine I'm preaching. But let me tell you this. I'm Baptist, but I ain't mad about it. And you don't need to be mad about it either. I'm Southern Missionary Baptist, but I am not mad about it. I'm a part of the SBC, but I am not mad about it. I get so sick of people being mad about it. Don't you? I'm going to tell you something. Years ago, me and a dear brother in Christ, he was, he was free will Baptist. You know, the, the biggest thing about free will Baptist and, and missionary Baptist is um, eternal security of the believer. All right? And now, let me tell you why I believe the eternal security of the believer, because that's what the Bible says. That's why I believe it. That's why I preach it. That's why I preach it. That's the only way I see it. I don't see it any other way. But you know what? That free will Baptist brother loved Jesus with all his heart. He did. That brother loved Jesus. And every day for a long time, we'd talk about once saved, always saved. And I'd, I'd list my five, six, seven points there that I had. I'd just try to hammer it with it. And then he'd come back at me with something else. And we'd talk about that. And, and, and I enjoyed discussing that. Until I realized I was trying to win the argument. And I'm, I cared more about winning the argument than I was caring about that brother. Are you hearing me? And when you get to that place, that's the wrong place to be in. See, what we need to do is don't major on the minor things. 
Like I told you last week, there are a whole lot more that unifies us throughout the body of Christ than there are that divides us. You hear me? I've got some Methodist brothers, sisters in Christ, and some Pentecostal brothers and sisters in Christ. And listen, I've got some non-denominational brothers and sisters in Christ, and you do too. Act like it. Quit being mad about everything. I'm not saying you can't defend what you believe, and you, you should do that. But you need to do it in love when you do it. And it's not worth losing a brother over some of these arguments. Because you will if you're not careful. I've been there. And the Lord showed me that. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Stand on your faith. Nothing wrong with any of that. But don't tear people down either. And don't be mad about it. Don't be picking a fight. You ever been around those folks? Always picking a fight about something? Quit doing that. Why are you doing that? We, we shouldn't do that. So, listen to me. These divisions, these contentions, it hurts the heart of God, man. It really does. Now, the, the reason they were divided is because of, really, their personal preference on the personalities and preachers. Paul or Apollos or Cephas. And they would all get clicky according to that. Dr. Uh, Alistair Begg, I don't know if any of you all have ever listened to Alistair Begg, great preacher of the Word of God. But Alistair Begg said something that I love, just I think it was today or maybe yesterday. He said that if the Word of God is preached rightly, then it's the message that is glorified, not the man. That's good. That's good. We never need to put any man on a pedestal. Now, I've got some dear preachers that I love with all my heart, man. I look up to them and I respect them. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Okay? You know, you should respect your pastor. You should. The Bible tells you to. Because the Bible says, y'all do that because they're going to give an account for your souls. You know, one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for what I've preached to you at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Really for everything that's happened at Mount Zion Baptist I'm going to give an account for that. You know, so, so there's nothing wrong with praying for your pastor, respecting your pastor. The Bible tells you to do that, but you don't honor and glorify any man. I don't care who it is. You may tell you, why? Because they're just a man. And on their best day, they'll fail you. Just like on my best day, I'll fail you. I, I love David Jeremiah. I've already told you that. I love Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers. I love Tony Evans. I love John MacArthur. I love... Um, Vance Pittman, and these are in no particular order. The late, great Adrian Rogers, one of the greatest preachers ever. I love him. I love Ronnie Barefield, Dr. Ronnie Barefield. I, I love uh, Brother Kevin Merritt. All of these great men of God. I, man, I love them, but let me tell you why I love them. Boy, they preach the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I love them. And they're my brother in Christ. That's why I love them. And I want to honor the Christ they're preaching about. Because they're preaching the word of God in power. And it's making a difference in my life. Amen. That's what it's about. And these people were missing that. 
Now, there's just three or four things here that I think we can deduce from what's happened at the church at Corinth on how division is caused. Division is caused, number one, when personal preference becomes more important than pleasing God. I'm amazed at the little things that can divide people. Aren't you? It amazes me. When we become selfish and concerned about personal preference more than anything else, the smallest of things will divide you. We talked a little bit about this last week. Music is one of them that divides Christendom today. I'm not talking about just in this church. I'm talking about all the church. Music is a big thing that people want to get divided over. I was at a men's conference years ago. I was actually preaching at the men's conference. And uh, the, uh, the man who would, that night was doing the, the, the song leading, worship leading, whatever, he stands up and sings, I'll never forget it, Come Thou Fount and Victory in Jesus to open the service. One of the pastors that were preaching that night stood up and said, I'm so glad we finally got God's music back in the church. Now listen to me. Was he right? Of course. That was some God's music right there. Hey, come thy found and victory in Jesus. If you can't worship to that, what are you going to worship to? Ain't nothing wrong with come thy found and victory in Jesus. I love that. Praise God for that. I want to sing that. But let me tell you something else. Just because that's God's music, that doesn't mean that broken vessels is not God's music. Just because amazing grace, we know that's God's music. But just because that is God's music, doesn't mean that, uh, what's that, what's that song, brother, I love? Yes. What, what's that other one I love? It's like the, the Irish. Yeah, that's the one I love right there. Death was arrested. That's God's music too. Now, I, it's hard for me to listen to Death was arrested sometimes because Danny Jones told me, <laughs> told me that it sounds like the Irish folk song music. And I got listening. I'm like, yeah, it does. Maybe that's why I like it so much. I'm 73% Irish. Do y'all know that? Ancestry.com told me that anyway. So, I mean, I love that song. So it's not that Amazing Grace is, that's, that's God's music, but it don't mean nothing else is God's music. You say, brother, where does the Bible say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19, watch this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19, tells us plainly what we need to see on this subject. It's so good. He says, speak to yourselves in Psalms. What Psalms? There's 150 of them. The book of Psalms. That was actually used as the songbook for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Psalms. You need to look at those songs. Great. Some great worship music there. I'm telling you. And then hymns. Evidently, the church in that day had some particular hymns that had been written by the people of God. And then what's it say? Spiritual songs. 
There is a distinction between all three of these. So I believe we could actually say we need to consider the Psalms. We need to consider hymns. We've got some good ones. We need to consider some spiritual songs. I think that could be thought of as the worship music that we have. Now I tell Brother Scotty all the time, Brother, what we've got to do is keep just enough of both hymns and worship style, the, the newer worship music, we need to keep enough of both to make everybody mad. And if we can do that, <laughs> then we'll be all right. That brother does a good job picking out what the Lord puts on his heart. And we have a mixture of both, and that's good. See, let me tell you why. Because I want my kids to know them hymn songs. Don't you? I want them to know some amazing grace and come thy fount, victory in Jesus. I want them to know the old rugged cross and the things that we, I, I want them to know that. That's good. But praise the Lord, I also want them to know some of the other. That's some powerful things too. Powerful songs. Powerful songs. And let me just say one more thing before I go on this because I think it's important. It needs to be said. If I'm riding down the road and a song comes on the radio that I don't particularly care for, you know what? I don't pull over to the side of the road and take a screwdriver and pop my radio out of the dash and throw it out the window. I don't do that. Let me tell you what I usually do. I just wait for the next song. It's okay to just wait for the next song. There's going to be some that you don't care of, care for. Whether it be there's some hymns I don't like. Some hymns are, are not scriptural. Did y'all know that? They're not. I, I don't like them. Me and brother, we've talked about that several times. There's there's some newer worship songs that are not scriptural either, and I don't like those. See, that's our standard. We know what will honor and glorify God according to what his word says. And that's our main goal. It's not about my personal preference, whether I like an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, or drums or no drums, or a piano or an organ. That's not about my personal preference. It's about does the music we sing to the Lord honor him? Does it please him? And if it does, let's keep doing that. That's what all this is about. Let me give you another one. Y'all gonna, gonna think, Brother Israel, you crazy. I, I'm not crazy. I'm telling you the truth. Years ago, years ago, I was being voted in at the first church I ever pastored. I think the vote that night was like 17 to 1. All right? 17 for me, one against me. And so somebody told me, asked the one against me, she didn't vote for me. She said, I didn't like the color of his Bible. She thought a preacher ought to have a black Bible. At that time, I don't guess I had a black Bible. And she didn't think I didn't have, or shouldn't have had any other color except a black Bible. Personal preference caused that lady to get in her own personal clique. See the silly things we get divided over? I told you last week, churches had, had split and broken fellowship because they couldn't decide on the color of the carpet. Are you kidding me? None of that stuff matters. 
You may tell you what matters is Jesus being glorified. Is the word going out? Is souls being saved? That's what matters. Are we fulfilling the mission? That's what matters. Quit worrying about all this stuff that don't matter. Now, when personal preference becomes more important than pleasing God, we've got a problem. You'll have division. Division is caused, number two, when personal relationships are splintered. A lot of people will say, Brother Israel, I can't get unified with those people. I'm mad at them. And they'll hold grudges for years over something I didn't make a hill of beans to start with. Right? It happens. I'm telling you. Get mad over this or mad over that, and for years just be, I'm talking about, won't have nothing to do with another. A lot of times break fellowship, won't come back to church. Mad. It's happened. Now, let me tell you this. A lot of those things are not worth getting mad over. You hear me? It's not. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Some things are really hurtful to people. And people do get hurt in church. Matter of fact, I think the most hurt I've ever been is in church. Let me tell you why. Because in church, it's supposed to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. In church... We're supposed to be loving one another, encouraging one another, edifying and building one another up. In church, we're supposed to be a family. Now, I get it when a lost and dying world who knows nothing about the things of God say bad things about you and say wrong things about you and lie about you. I get that. Lost people are just going to do what lost people do. I expect that. Jesus said that was going to happen. But what you don't expect is people you love. I mean, I won't tell you. There are some people I would love just to take out to lunch. I've tried to and they won't let me. I would love to take them out to lunch, sit across the table from them, and say, how could I have been a better servant of God to you? I want to say that to them. Hey, you baptized them, you baptized their kids, you, you've been with them in church for years, and they'll just get mad over something, blow up and leave, and then say all kind of things that ain't even right. Ain't true. Do everything they can to tear everything down. And I just want to sit across the table from them and say, please tell me, where did I go wrong? I want to know. Stuff like that will tear your heart out, man. It's rough. Maybe you've experienced some of that. People do get hurt in church. I'm not trying to diminish that fact. And a lot of people get sick, not of Christianity, but of churchianity. Remember now, whatever somebody in flesh and blood does to you, that wouldn't Jesus. You hear me? You do not have the right to quit worshiping or serving Jesus because somebody hurt you. You don't. None of us do. None of us do. Listen to me. 
If somebody really does hurt you for a real legitimate reason, there's a way you handle that. It's in Matthew chapter 18. Let me just read through that right quick before we go any further. Matthew chapter 18, watch this. Verse number 15, brother, please. Now look what Jesus says. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. I love that. He says, go right to the source first. Go to them. That's, that is paramount if you're going to fix a relationship. Don't be telling everybody else your problem and what's went on and, and getting everybody else mad about this deal. Go right to them and do it quickly. Because if you don't do it quickly, that sore spot will fester. It will. It'll fester. And before long, it's going to be much harder to go because you're going to get more bitter. And if you let that root of bitterness keep growing in your heart and life, it will choke the joy from your soul. So go then. Go then. Don't wait. Go then. And he said, if he hear you, you gain your brother. Verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Keep trying. Go get somebody else. Hey, you got to come with me. Let's go fix this thing. Somebody you trust. Somebody you're confident in. Go talk to him. Watch. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear thee, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? If they, won't, if they won't do anything to fix the relationship, and you've done all you can do, that's all you can do. The Bible says, as much as, be, as, as, as possible with you, live at peace with all men. As much as possible. I don't care how much you want to be at peace with some people, they ain't going to be at peace with you. <laughs> I, I, I remember years ago, when our country was still at war, Cheryl Crow said something that made me laugh. She said, the best way to not have any enemies is not fight any wars. Fantastic. That's great. I don't want to fight any wars. My only problem with that statement is, what about the ones that want to fight me? What do we do about them? You can't live at peace with all men, but as much as possible, do it. Watch this now. Let him be unto thee as a heathen and publican. Go on. And verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 19. Again I say unto you that if two shall agree on earth as touching anything that shall last, it shall be done for them as my Father which is in heaven. Go ahead. For were two or three gathered together in my name, there will be in the midst of them. Verse 21. Then came Peter. I love this. I'm glad he came along. And he says this. How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Now there's a reason he said that. In the Old Testament, under the Levitical law, it was said that if somebody wrongs you, they got seven times. Now, after the seventh time, you can be done with them. You can write them off. So Peter's like, all right, Lord. Hey, I want to ask you a real good question because I've read in the Old Testament where if you forgive somebody seven times, that eighth time, I'm done with you, buddy. It's over. Is that right, Lord? Look how Jesus says. I love this. 
Jesus said to him, I say not unto seven time, until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, did Jesus mean 490 times? I kind of think that's what Peter might have, might have been thinking. Okay, seven times 70 is 490. All right, I can work with that. You know, I think that's kind of, but that's not what Jesus is meaning. What's he saying? He's saying extend grace is what he's saying. That's what he's saying. You extend to others the same grace that has been extended to you. Brothers and sisters, we got to do that. If somebody's offended you, work it out the Bible way. Do what God says. Hey, I'm going to tell you this. If I've offended you, let's talk about it. Please, let's talk about it. I want to talk about it. Maybe I have. Maybe I've unwittingly offended you. Maybe I've just dropped the ball and offended you. And if I have, let's talk about it. Let's work it out. That's what we got to do. We're a family. Number three, division is caused when the word of God is forsaken. The Bible says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, I'm leaving a new commandment for you. That as I have loved you, you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. When we don't love one another, and to love one another again is to extend grace to one another, to look over the faults and failures, the little things, because a lot of times little things, it'll catch you too. I'm talking about personality differences. You ever heard somebody said, man, I, I, she just makes me mad just looking at her. You ever said that? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, he just gets all over me. Yeah, we all do that. Every one of us do that. Just because of little bitty things. Maybe how they look or how they talk. My wife gets really mad at how I chew sometimes. She really gets mad at how I snore. She has got a fantastic right elbow. I've, I've thought about maybe getting her in some MMA or something because she can throw a right elbow. I'm talking about come from way over here at Aunt Nancy's and just dig it into my ribs. And I'm like, what? You're snoring. Well, that's how I sleep. I don't know what else to do. I got a nasty bite. <laughs> and then, you know, Brother Andy, you know, brother. <laughs> hey, me and him went, went on a work trip and was working away in Tuscaloosa down in South Alabama. Um... Last year, year before last, and we were sleeping in the same room. I had like a bunkhouse. I get up in the morning and walk toward the back of the room, and, and Andy meets me about halfway in the hallway. And he said, didn't say good morning now. And all he said was, you need a CPAP. <laughs> Maybe he's right. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just saying little things can get on us sometimes. But you've got to extend some grace and look over some of that, man. And it goes both ways. Right? Yeah. Comments or questions?